I'm Hannah Grace. I'm Sarah. And this is For Your Progress. And we're coming to you from Unmasked Studios in Auburn, Alabama. This podcast was recorded on Saturday, September 22nd, 2018. For Your Progress is based around James Baldwin's life and major works. First and foremost, we hope to ask ourselves who Baldwin was and why his works are still relevant for contemporary America. We'll also be bringing works from other authors into the discussion, like Audre Lorde and ta Coates. And in doing so, shed some light on Baldwin's world and his legacy thereafter. Now, this podcast will have three parts. The first one. We don't believe you, because we the people. We the people. This section is named after the incredible song by A Tribe Called Quest. Here, we'll do an in-depth analysis of one or more of Baldwin's works. We'll be discussing major themes and quotes in his text while also exploring his personal life and ideologies. Second section. This is America. This is America is, of course, named after Childish Gambino's hit song, This is America. Here we'll talk about pop culture moments and how they relate to Baldwin's work or ideologies in some way. We hope to combine a cultural and literary lens to Baldwin's work and in doing so broaden the discussion around Baldwin. In the third section, Gifted in Black is named after Nina Simone's To Be Young, Gifted in Black. Here we'll be giving shout-outs to some talented black folk doing amazing things right now. Now let's just lay the groundwork here. We have a three-part system of ethics that we want to uphold and be checked on. For one, we'll respect good faith opinions. And what this looks like is a long-term effort to actively acknowledge our fellow classmates' humanity and capacity for growth, both on this podcast and in our personal lives. The second ethic is that we will try our best to be responsible for the information we talk about on here by being active learners and listeners. We believe that we have a responsibility and an attachment to whatever we discuss and put out into the public space. Now, listeners, we need your help to keep us accountable. You can do this by Instagram DMing us at For Your Progress or tweeting us on Twitter at the number four, Your Progress, to keep us in check. Now, our third ethic is that we'll be attuned to each other's experiences and differences because no one should have to defend their existence on the podcast. Now, this episode will be all about progress as a major theme in Baldwin's The Fire Next Time, which was published in 1963. By this time, Baldwin has already published Go Tell It on the Mountain and Notes of a Native Son. The Fire Next Time is in part a biographical account of his life in Harlem and is split up into two essays. The first one being My Dungeon Shook, or Letter to My Nephew on the 100th Anniversary of the Emancipation. The second essay is Down at the Cross, or Letter from a Region in My Mind. So as for the names of this podcast, we have this quote from Karen Thorson's 1989 documentary, Price of the Ticket. It was taken my father's time, my mother's time, my uncle's time, my brother's and my sister's time. My nieces and my nephews time. How much time do you want for your progress? This is a really powerful quote. Now, you may have noticed the braces or squiggly parentheses surrounding the Y in our title, and we just wanted to take a second to explain why this is. While Baldwin's quote says, for your progress, we hope our podcast can be for the education and betterment of everyone, from those of us producing the content to you listeners and the people we both interact with every day. And Sarah, you put it perfectly the other day when you said the whole emphasis on our 
means progress is something we should all be concerned with on an institutional, cultural, interpersonal, and individual level. Now, both Sarah and I would like to speak to the meaning of progress individually. Sarah, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, how you view progress? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think for one, progress is holding people accountable for what they say. It's kind of living and acting out your politics in a responsible and informed way. Um, and I think if we're kind of tying this back to Baldwin, what it means to shake the dungeon that he's talking about from that first essay, um, I think that dungeon is our inability to see our individual and collective histories and biographies transparently. So like I said, you have to be accountable for your own biography, you also have to be accountable for like the collective history that we're all living out in today's world. Well, I feel like progress for a lot of people means a lot of different things. Um, for instance, I am a straight, cisgendered, white woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, so from my perspective, progress is um, kind of a continual shift for the positive. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for progress, at least I feel like in this sense, is speaking um, racially and um, in terms of gender, in terms of um, religion. You know, I feel like this is kind of talking about um, making sure that we're all kind of on an even playing field. And I feel like a lot of times, even even, even today from, from Baldwin mm-hmm. to today, we, we lack a bit of that. Yeah. Um... By equal playing field, because there's a difference between equality and equity, so I think given our history, there's no possible way that we'd ever be on an equal playing field, Um, and so are there things from the text that kind of give you a glimpse of Baldwin's vision of progress here? Because I definitely think there's something to be said about equality, um, and there's something to be said, too, about time. Um, This is really integral to the quote itself. You know, it's taking my brother's time, my sister's time. So what are you thinking with that? Like, what what does this mean? How does time play out in the fire next time? Well, I feel like a lot of stuff time-wise, Sarah and I and a lot of the other students in this podcast are in a class together. And one thing that we talked about um, recently was that people think the um, abolition of slavery and, mm-hmm. oh, now women and people of color can vote oh so that must mean that like uh we've made we've made our progress no um that's it's not quite we're not quite there yet um we we do we have made those strides but um I feel like Baldwin's beef basically is that there's still so much that hasn't been done uh are people just kind of ignoring all of the issues that are surrounding us today what do you think about that I, I feel like it's very easy especially from a standpoint of privilege to just totally Mm -hmm. ignore the stuff that um we see going around because like when you're living in privilege then you don't have as much immediate access to seeing when other people are living in a less privileged way than you are and so it's really easy to just stay I guess in your lane and not and not even look around you and um be paying attention Mm -hmm. not be aware of that and a lot, a lot of that can be a choice because you can choose to go get informed. That actually kind of reminded me of an, another passage um, in The Fire Next Time. Um, and 
and it and it says many of them indeed know better but as you will discover people find it difficult to act on what they know and I feel like that's a part of um progress that Mm -hmm. could use a little bit of work um in today's day and age and I feel like um part of Baldwin's progress maybe too might be in that um finding the courage and finding um the strength to go ahead and start doing something about it not just knowing it for yourself yeah I think there's certainly something important in that that quote that you just mentioned and what my question is what what is what is the difficulty that Baldwin is pointing out because if you know a bit of information if you know about our history and you choose to acknowledge it what what is the danger here and he mentions this in the fire next time what is the danger in your position of privilege or in anyone's position of privilege um and i think what he's getting at is sort of the fact that you might wake up one day and he he says this in his verses you might you might wake up one day and find that everything is a fire and find that everything that you knew or you thought you knew um is suddenly has suddenly dissipated in a way um I'm working at the writing center now, and just the other week, this girl came in for an appointment, and she was doing her paper on LGBTQ groups like Spectrum. Uh, just to be clear, you know, I identify as a lesbian, and so I was kind of overhearing this discussion she was having with her peer tutor, and one of the things that kind of struck me was that this girl was going through a process of realizing that people in the LGBTQ community are human. Um, She said something along the lines of, I know, I know it sounds shocking, but she said something along the lines of, um, I think that I can finally understand where they're coming from. And that was very shocking to me. Um, And I think if we relate this back to Baldwin, um, he says something about Western nations and Western culture, America specifically, he says that America they should release themselves from many things that are now taken to be sacred and to discard nearly all the assumptions that have been used to justify their lives and their anguish and their crimes so long. And I think that just that that particular section, justify their lives, I'm asking myself who needs their lives to be justified and constantly revalidated. Because it's, it's not me technically, even though people want me to be explicit about my sexual orientation a lot of the time. I think it's troublesome. Do you feel like maybe she was projecting her struggles onto members of the LGBT? So it could be, very well, it could be a projection. I mean, Baldwin says this in one of his essays in The Fire Next Time. He says something along the lines of um, white people have to love themselves first right? before we begin that process as we already talked about of spiritually uplifting, progress as love. And so I think what I was experiencing here is that someone was literally in this very moment of transformation, or maybe that's a strong word, but just lack of a better word, a transformation or coming to an understanding that the people she's been conditioned to view as not completely human are actually human, are people that we can sympathize with. This is exactly what Audre Lorde is talking about when she talks about not erasing our differences. Right. You know, um, I think there's something to be said about that. You know, these these categories that we put ourselves in and we define, like 
like I said, who really needs those categories except for the people that are trying to limit us? Right. And it's, it's just kind of interesting because I feel like people talk about that and um, it's not necessarily as a limiting thing, but as a way to understand mm-hmm. um, people. And just like, I, I find that a very interesting and complicated kind of. Yeah, uh, definitely. You bring up a really good point. It's not entirely limiting. Like, if I identify as a, as a lesbian, I do that in part because the structure and the culture that we're living in, it both enables and constrains me to do certain things. Um, it does enable me to have this language to identify myself. It constrains me in the way that other people see me. And so I think mm-hmm. that there's a very complex and delicate balance there. Yeah. But I do, I do definitely acknowledge that there, there are two parts to that. And it's really a hard thing to negotiate as someone who has all these intersecting identities. Sure. Um, I mean, just as Audrey Lord likes to call herself you know, black, lesbian, poet, warrior, mother, I mean, all of that. It's, it's a lot. Absolutely. But it's empowering, too. Is there something to be said, then, about what we do from here? If we are the freest, the richest country in the world, what does our progress look like? What does it look like for Baldwin? Uh, would you happen to have any idea of that? Well, I feel like you can, if 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 we're talking still on that page, like talking about action, I think the, the quote is, the subtle and deadly change of heart that might occur in you would be involved with the realization that a civilization is not destroyed by wicked people. It is not necessarily that people be wicked, but only that they be spineless. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's one of the things that... Um, he's kind of talking about with that is like being spineless is not going to help anything in fact it's detriment Mm -hmm. and um i feel like finding the courage to be okay with who you are and then finding the courage to act whether that's writing a letter to your congressperson whether that's um i don't know joining certain groups that are um Mm -hmm kind of allying up yeah being an ally yeah Yeah, to what whatever community um you particularly feel Mm -hmm. so you you would see progress as um an allyship yeah essentially yeah we were we were talking a little bit about this in class and this is something that i know we both wanted to bring up more Mm -hmm. um is baldwin's vision of progress as love um we we talked about it a little in class but would you would you have anything to say about you know, does he, first of all, view progress as love, loving one another? And if so, what are the implications for that? And where might you see it, like, I don't know, in the, in the fire next time specifically? Like, this is a horrible sum up, but, basic, <laughs> but basically, um, I love America. And because mm-hmm. I love America, I reserve the right to criticize yes, her. And yes. so, um, you know, like... When you love somebody, if if they're doing something that's a little messed up, yeah, you when you by loving them, you're letting you go ahead and let them know, hey, that's kind of messed yeah. up. Rather than uh, you're not loving someone by allowing them to stay where they are and stay not because you're not helping them and loving them in a way that makes them the best kind of person they could yeah. possibly be. Absolutely, and and this is. This is all kind of what's happening in his letter to his nephew. Yeah. You think about um, what he tells his nephew towards the end of that letter. Um, 
he says ultimately, and let me go find that, that we with love shall force our brothers to see themselves as they are. So in his own loving relationship with his nephew, there's something, there's a, there's a parallel there, like you said, with a loving relationship to America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that can be very difficult if you're, you're not, you don't have a, a certain type of privilege. Um, you, you find yourself kind of despising America yeah. uh, at, in its current state, um, and, and even when, when Baldwin was in America. But, like, there's this same kind of push and pull. Um, I think I talked about this a little before, but Bell Hooks just came out with uh, her own little treatise on love. Right. Um, and I wish I had that book with me, but basically what I wanted to pull from there is that um, Bell Hooks likes this definition of love as spiritually uplifting one another. Um, and I, I sincerely think that may be where Baldwin is, is envisioning this sort of progress. What if we spiritually uplift each other? Um, if we do have a loving relationship to, no, to one another, what does that look like? Um, how do we prevent uplifting each other from kind of constituting or establishing a standard? Yeah. Um, so, and I think we've done this for years and years and years. We've made one person or group of people the standard and other people have to go the distance to meet that and right. that is what has been considered, quote-unquote, spiritually uplifting people, when really that's not, I don't think, the essence yeah. of what Hooks, or maybe even Baldwin would be trying to say. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? To love someone well, not only does it require um, for you to challenge them and to ask yeah. them to grow, but also um, appreciating, and going back to the, uh, talking about Audre Lorde, um, Loving them for their differences, yeah, and um, absolutely not not just loving them in spite of their differences, yeah. but um, kind of appreciating that because of these aspects in their life, that's who this person is, and that mm-hmm. makes them the cool and awesome person <laughs> that you love, you know. And um, talking about all all kinds of all mm-hmm. kinds of um, love and how it needs to be uplifting in that way mm-hmm. um and not and not and, you know you're ta- you're talking about um how it's spiritually uplifting like yeah. it's not just um not just doing something for their situation but doing something for their personhood for their soul that makes mm-hmm. them not only like know that they're okay but like feel at peace and yeah. feel loved by you i don't know i just yeah. feel like i i really like how there. you how you're placing emphasis on the soul i think that baldwin has a contentious relationship with the soul uh, in part because uh, when he's describing the avenue i I believe in that second essay in the fire next time Mm -hmm. um he's talking about um everyone's concern with his soul yeah um there's also uh going along with that that falls hand in hand with the body and his, mm-hmm. his concern, obviously, with a letter to his nephew and with uh, the second essay, there is a concern yes. um, for protecting the black body. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, I think I think of it this way. If, if, America, if America's protection is like predicated on a destruction of the black body, where do we go except to all just destroy each other, basically? Yeah. Um, and as I was saying... To spiritually uplift someone else, what what does that look like? Because that can be troubling too. 
that can be troubling in the sense that some person has to do all the emotional work, all the emotional labor to uplift whoever they're wanting to. Right. Um, Like, what, what do you think? Does that take emotional work? Is there something kind of troubling about that? Yeah, I feel like it often is troubling in the way that it ends up panning out because I Mm -hmm. feel like a lot of times um, loving somebody can um, be really almost one-sided if we're not careful about it and um, that a lot of the emotional work sometimes ends up falling on one person yeah but I think um, that's another form of progress is learning how to lean on each other Mm -hmm. um, in an an even in in an even kind of way so that um, it's so that so that we've like thinking humanity first relationally so you know like we're not just part of our ethics yeah yeah and so that we're we're um so that when we're talking to people we're thinking about not only how can like we make them better but also thinking about how what we can learn from talking to other people and um loving loving well and like it's 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 so it's so obnoxious i feel like but um (laughs) but like it is really thinking about love when we talk to people, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's where a lot of, um, progress can come is from encouraging Mm -hmm. discourse, you know? And so when when we're, when we're talking to people different from ourselves, um, stop thinking as much about how it just affects yourself. Mm -hmm. And that can help. I feel like sometimes, um, in kind of evening the burden of, um, emotional vulnerability and um the weight yeah. that just all that causes <laughs> you know just if, if we if yes that's exactly it's hard not to be of, selfish yeah that's the, <laughs> that's the kind of trouble because you know like I said there's a lot of emotional work involved in pulling someone up um mm-hmm. spiritually uplifting um I just the other day I had to tell someone who who is my friend, I had to tell her that she said something that was racist to me. Mm. Um, the emotional labor that that I had to do to explain that she yeah. was being racist um, took a toll on me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I didn't know what to do at that point. And there's also, I mean, my when I was growing up, a lot of the time, my dad, he always, always repeated this thing. He would say, Sarah, this and this, all this is, is a two-way street. Basically, mm-hmm. he would compare everything to a two-way street. Um, he said this when I came out. It's a two-way street. You didn't trust me enough to come out, and da da da. And so that has always bothered me. And I think this is the same trouble I'm having here, being in between spiritual uplifting and emotional work. Is sort of maybe it's a two-way street, but what is the distance one person has to go to meet that other person? Right. How much more work does someone have to do? To, to technically meet in the middle. So now we're moving on to our This is America segment. And we're going to be talking again about pop culture and how that relates or doesn't relate. Um, kind of as a more lighthearted, less meaty kind of section of our podcast. And we've actually got a guest today. Um, so one of the first things that we're d- definitely uh, felt like we had to talk about 
um, would be the 70, 70th Emmy Awards, and um, particularly this fantastic number called We Solved It. And <laughs> this was one of the funniest things um, to me. And uh, basically the premise for if uh, any of you have not watched it or have no idea what I'm talking about, first off, i got to recommend going and listening to it or definitely watching it. But um, the whole vibe is that we've solved the problem with diversity in Hollywood and how yeah. all, of, all of this proof that we've done it. <laughs> Celebrate. Mm. Uh, to kind of begin this conversation, we have to talk about representation. I mean, we're talking about the Emmys, representation particularly in film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if y'all ever saw Crazy Rich Asians, um, Black Klansmen, Sorry to Bother You. Oh, oh. There, but like the trailers are lit. And I'm yeah. so excited for Sorry to bother you. Oh. <laughs> that good? <laughs> yes. Yes, she's incredible. Yeah. But there's been there's been a lot of that this summer. Um, I think for the for the first time I saw two movies in one summer where uh, Asians and Asian Americans were depicted in film or television. Um, I think there's something out on Netflix called To All the Boys I've Loved. Yes. Um, that one was excellent. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. It was so cute. I cried. that struck me and I wanted to ask you Sarah about was when they were talking about Sandra Oh and um, so as an Asian woman like when she said something it was so funny she was like I'm just proud happy to be Asian or honored to be Asian yeah <laughs> uh, I don't know can you talk a little bit about like what that moment um, like meant for you personally? yeah um, I think for me it kind of spoke to this tokenizing that happens um, for pretty much any minority it's like Here's our one Asian friend. Yeah. Here's my one black friend, and that's definitely how that felt to me. Um, I actually had a friend the other day who said something really racist to me. Thought it was funny, and people all the time still like to use the word Oriental, yeah. which is very inappropriate and pejorative. So yeah, like so, I said, that part. I don't know if you want to explain it, but like why? Can you explain to the people listening out there why yeah. Oriental is not okay? Yeah, Oriental is not okay to say because for the one part, it refers to people as objects. You would call a rug Oriental and not talk about the person in that way. Um, That's a major thing. I've I've actually talked to my grandmother about that particular um, phraseology a lot. And it's interesting. That's just interesting because, like she said, I I knew I was going to say it wrong. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't figure out how to explain. explain what I was talking about in in an inoffensive way, but she was like, but I thought that was the appropriate um, way to talk about someone with Asian heritage. And so one thing that's interesting, like with our older generations, how much explaining has to go down. That's part of the work we have to do, even though it takes that emotional work and labor that no one should be obligated to do on. identify as black and so like and I have a lot of white friends too and just I find it exhausting sometimes to just constantly be explaining either why you can't say certain things or mm-hmm. um, not even like phraseology but sometimes just explaining concepts that like yeah. aren't readily accessible to people or non people of color I yeah. guess mm-hmm. I don't know how you say that but yeah for sure 
this is kind of what we're we're talking about in our analysis portion is that having to explain things to people um, something that I've been dealing with lately is having to explain to people what it feels like to walk in a room where people really don't see you as fully human um, I think that pretty powerful sentiment right there you referenced something earlier that I immediately thought of when they were talking about um, the tokenism uh, and like we saw that like we have like one of each yeah the one of each so we've solved it and so like, it reminds me so much of what people say oh I have a black friend I have an Asian friend mm-hmm. I have a gay friend like, I can't be homophobic I can't be racist yeah, yeah. that's what that means like yeah. I, I thought that they drew this really great parallel Each speak for all lesbians. Yeah. I don't represent a lesbian experience on the whole. I mean, yeah. no one, no one is is the token image for whatever group they belong to. I mean, that's incredibly limiting, and it's just it just does a disservice to everyone to assume that one person from each category can speak to a whole group of people. Yeah. I know we hadn't really talked about um, discussing this. This is kind of a little off topic, at least of the, we, we solved it, but talking about tokenism, like, you know, in media, you talk about like having the token black guy or the yeah. token Asian guy, like in a horror movie, for instance, you yeah, know who's dying yeah. first. Um, but like, it kind of made me think of uh, one of my favorite things. Uh, I saw Black Panther this summer and like so much appreciation because um, there were really like, two white people in the entire mm-hmm. movie and one of them was a was a, the one of the villains but another like the other guy martin freeman um wasn't and i just oh man i appreciated that so much um one because like having a cast uh, that was not predominantly white was just so exciting and my sister's uh, husband is mixed race and he um, and like that's one thing that she talks about like for her future like sons and daughters like they're going to also be mixed race and so like having that representation in um the media she talked she, she and i talked about this for a good bit talking about the importance of of that for them because so much of superhero movies like superman's white batman's white like all of these fantastic heroes and now there's finally a film where there's only two white guys yeah and yeah. I, I i that made me super excited and that like it also just personally i was really glad that we had one guy who didn't suck like having martin freeman in there it was, <laughs> it was just nice from my personal standpoint um being a white person who's not trying to be the like part of the problem and trying to be part of um making the world a better place like it's nice having a representation of somebody who's white who's not being a complete asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that like poor me, poor poor white girl, but like it just, <laughs> no, but no, just no. like it, it it is it is just a nice thing. No, I think that like that I, don't, I like that you're saying that because I don't know Dr. Charles, I'm a professor. She mm-hmm. talks all the time about like um, getting your people to like it's okay yeah. to gather yeah. your people, and so like. For me, if somebody black is actually wild, I'd be like, get it. <laughs> get it together. So like when we talk about like getting your people, like white people, 
you're with people. Yeah. Because you're people. Like, if you, I, I just feel like this also goes into progress. Like, if, to me, like, if you, if you stand, I think this is actually a Martin Luther King quote. Like, if you are silent or, like, do nothing in the face of injustice, like, that, mm-hmm. the, that is a threat mm-hmm. to your justice, too. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. as, oh, the quote is, uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And so, like, when you stay silent about things that you know are wrong, then there, there's no way that it can be better. Yeah. Especially when you have, especially, like, white people have the voice to, mm-hmm. yeah. not, not to say, not to say, that is not to say be, like, a white savior. Right. No, 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 no. no. Because that, that's another problem that you can run into is, mm-hmm. like, well, not to save all of these minority people. Like, yeah. Yeah. Dude, just like, that's crazy. Spir- spiritually uplift them all. You yeah. Know? yeah. Which is also another problem. Like, it's a huge problem. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's sort of what I was talking about when I was, I was bringing in the discussion about bell hooks um, and spiritually uplifting people, progress as love. Um, like I said, creating a, a standard is very, very troublesome and problematic. And I think there's a difference between, you know, having someone reaching up yeah. and there being a, a hierarchy there and having, and your politics really mean nothing. They're, they're futile if you don't act those out in your daily life. They say in like any performance, like there's one, so we're done. Yeah, and, and like it reminded me so much. I took a civil rights movement class last semester, and we talked a lot about desegregation versus integration. Like mm-hmm. I didn't even know there's a difference, but um, with desegregation, it's like, for example, with the desegregation of Auburn, like Harold A. Franklin desegregated Auburn as the first African American to attend. Integration is when the population of your school looks like the population of the place in which you live. Because, like, at Auburn, we have, like, 80% white, 60% black, and then, like, even less in here uh, for other minority groups. Mm-hmm. And so I realized in the class that, like, Auburn is not integrated. Mm-hmm. It's desegregated. It's like, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. When I realized that, I was like, oof. I asked the professor, I was like, so it's Auburn? <laughs> he was like, Madison, you got me. And so, <laughs> like, with TV, it's like, think that whole integration can even come in TV without like having like I don't know not treating minority peoples as monoliths like there's no one type of Asian person there's no one type of Hispanic Latino person Mm -hmm. there's no type of black person Mm -hmm. and I just thought that like there's one like I I don't know I just thought the whole thing was like a great satire on like (laughs) one and done like we don't we don't have to worry about diversity anymore because we got one of them yeah which is problematic language I also appreciated that phone call where, like, just, just you know, for everybody, if anybody maybe tuned out or, like, wasn't sure, they made sure to add that phone call that was, like, oh, long way to go. And then I left the <laughs> so I can the ball at the 50-yard line. Like, yeah, I was, like, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we could, that, that, that they made sure that they at least yeah. made sure that it was completely clear how much of a satire it was. Mm-hmm. What did y'all think about Andy Samberg, like, suspending from this guy like is there room for me <laughs> the straight white guy <laughs> um <laughs> and they're like no and he's like all right bye <laughs> yeah. people people are so frustrated with that that phrasing um straight white male mm-hmm. um but it's just still so funny to me because <laughs> because i'm just i'm just kind of like people talk about identity politics all the time especially white men they and I, they they'll be like, 
why why is your ident- identity so important to you? Why are there so many sexualities? Why is there this? I mean, like, essentially all of our history has been identity politics, and you haven't mm-hmm. considered that your identity because you're the default. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's, sometimes it almost seems to me as if people who have problems with, like, there being so many identities, it's almost like it, it can be used for them to, like, have to learn, like, yeah. what how you identify yourself, like, yeah. There's some there's some great stuff happening with I mean, gender queer gender fuck, um, things like yeah I know oh. there there there's a whole range of things and I think that's incredible using our language to be subversive transgressive yeah well I, I guess I have a question um, with uh, Andy popping down from <laughs> the moon I I think that was actually very interesting thing for them to do to to pop him down and then have him not be there i mean like i know that the point was like not to be about him but like do you think he should have maybe been able to stay on the stage a little bit so that we would actually have okay i feel like like they were trying to do something more symbolic there because it's like i feel like in a way when like when when we talk about like diversity and minority stuff people have a to be like, well, what about me? Like, what about me? So I feel like he, like, that was like a, I feel like it's like this anxiety for, especially with the, the far right, like, mm-hmm. of like erasure mm-hmm. of themselves. And so, like, when he pops in, like, don't forget about me. And then when they say, like, you don't really have to be here right now, he's kind of like, well, okay, like, I can still be me, but not take the stage away from you guys. Like, I feel like his, his exit was. Diversity can exist without like completely without erasing other people. Like right. it's like that is it is possible to do so. Like I sometimes I feel like they were saying. So that's Audrey Ward's whole thing. I mean, difference doesn't necessarily insinuate that you place value on on one thing and devalue the other thing. Yeah. But if they were going to do it again, would you guys think like even if he's not one of the ones singing up there and having the main voice? Would, would y'all even think that, like, would that be okay if he were up there? Or do you think it was important that he still left? Well, I, mean, I feel like if he had stayed after that, I think that if he had been on stage already and, like, and I just feel like if he had, like, came in swinging and be like, don't forget about me and stayed on stage, I feel mm-hmm. like I was like, well, this is just the same problem. Yeah. Um, but I feel like if he comes on stage like that, he had to for for their point to still stand, I guess. Okay. So like, if if they didn't want to have like this big like, don't forget about the white guy. Yeah. Uh, entrance like I guess like they could have just had him like make a regular. Yeah. <laughs> entrance like yeah. like everybody else, I guess. Like, I don't know. Coming down from a moon, not it was, on the <laughs> ceiling. Yeah. It was certainly symbolic. Yes. Or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for entertaining <laughs> that question. I, I earlier like before. We talked about the Me Too movement, how they would fit that in there, and how like the people that I guess are getting in trouble and are getting called out have like just basically got like a slap on the wrist or mm-hmm. whatever. What were your thoughts about how they how they talked about it in the performance? Honestly, I was surprised at how little time they spent on that um, particular instance. You know, like. It was kind of done passing, which um, honestly really surprised me.
we were just talking about and this is America. He walked out and he just looked like an angel. You know, I'm like to say, but that's not why he was young. He's just like, I'm not black because he won or he just received like the his first Emmy, I guess, or maybe not. But he, he got the EGOT um, mm-hmm. honor or whatever. Like he has an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. And he's like, the first, I think the first black man to do so. And so. So just to go over everything we talked about today, we began with our own definitions of progress and how those relate to Baldwin's view of progress in The Fire Next Time. We also discussed privilege and difference, taking from Audre Lorde's sister outsider. To conclude, we believe that Baldwin's progress might be similar in kind to Bell Hook's idea of progress as love. While this comes with some troubling aspects, there is something to be said about progress as love or spiritually uplifting in our interpersonal relationships, and in society at large. In our conversation with Madison, we then decided that we, in fact, have not solved it, it being diversity in media, and we closed out our discussion highlighting musical artist John Legend and No Name. On that note, we want to know how y'all define progress. You can comment and reply on our Instagram, at ForYourProgress, that's all spelled out in words, and then on our Twitter account, for the number four, your progress. Thanks Thanks for listening. Next time on For Your Progress. Y'all can tune in to hear Madison and Tyra continue this discussion on progress.